All right, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we begin now a, another section. Uh, except I think that in, in studying this out, it kind of hit me that I think 13 through 16 flow out of the last beatitude about blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, and then it kind of explains where that persecution comes from to some degree. And so I think you'll see here a, a kind of clear connection to this next section. Last week, though, we did look at verses uh, 10 and 11. And uh, what the uh, you can be happy while being persecuted. We saw that the nature of the kingdom of God is one in which it exists among other kingdoms. Christians were, will always be despised on the earth. Uh, every time a Christian organization has authority over society, it has never worked out well. We kind of look back and see either Christianized or even actual Christians who have uh, control. Uh, it doesn't usually work out well. And I think that because it's not how the kingdom of God, that's kind of what we're looking at here, the nature of the kingdom is one in which we, God rules and reigns through his church, in his church, and yet we are part of other kingdoms, and we, we coexist, and that, that doesn't always work well, and that's the way God has made it, but as we shall see, we do much better when we can influence a culture rather than uh, try to force a culture. Uh, we saw that many times the New Testament makes it quite clear that the church will be a suffering church, and that it is good as long as it is because we are standing firm on the word of God, Notice that there is nothing objectionable to in the Beatitudes that would lead to persecution. If you think about it, the first few uh, Beatitudes, uh, nobody would find that uh, objectionable and would want to persecute you. The world would not hate us because of that. The cause of persecution is made specific in verse 11 when he says, On my account, persecution itself does not bring uh, blessing, but persecution for the cause of the righteousness in Christ Jesus carries the promise of blessing. So when we are persecuted for the right reason, because we have, are glorifying the Lord, then we can be happy. And then uh, lastly, and this kind of leads us into, uh, uh, I didn't really necessarily say this last week, but I think this kind of shows this connection between last week and this week. In Matthew 12, the persecution of the prophets is mentioned as an example. Well, what makes a prophet a prophet? What, what he does or what he says? What got the Old Testament prophets into trouble and persecution? Was it their actions or their words? In the New Testament, what caused, for instance, John the Baptist, who technically was the last of the Old Testament prophets, what caused his persecution and eventual death? Was it his actions? For instance, baptizing Jesus? He went around baptizing? Did he, did, was he killed for that? Or was it for his words? And of course we know the answer to all those is it is their words. It was not their actions, but their, what they said as prophets. So when Jesus says, because of me, I think it assumes a vocal witness to Jesus. Otherwise, how could the disciples be said to suffer on his account? If we just go around doing good works, which is what some people have kind of reduced Christianity to, well, that's not going to bring persecution. 
We're not going to be despised for that. We will often be admired for that. It's when we open up our mouth and speak the word of God, when we take the position of prophets, that persecution comes. And that really is underlying everything that I'm going to say today. So as we approach our text, keep it in mind what we've just said, we cannot help but notice the temperature of the culture around us because we know that we are being told that our calling as light and salt primarily is it, it, this is the way the world looks at it is a it's a calling to good works the world would like for Christians to remain in our corner doing good and to stay out of the public arena of debate of public speech and we, we've all seen that you can do whatever you want to in your church but don't dare publicly say anything that is contrary to what we want to do. The world is very happy to honor Christians who live lives of superior goodness. And obviously, it's not that we are not to be do good works and, and, and so forth and to be morally good. <clears throat> but the, and, and the, the world loves that. They have no problem with that as a such. But as long as we keep our mouths shut about sin and righteousness and judgment, Especially judgment. And I'm sure that you can think of names immediately might spring to mind of people who were Christians who were honored, or at least Christian in name, who were honored by the world for their good works. But we find out that generally speaking, uh, those are Christians who don't say a whole lot publicly about the word of God. Because then, then things turn. And it, it used not to be like that so much, but it has certainly become like that. So this, is, I think, helps us set the stage also for how we would apply this in a practical sense. These verses, like the section before us, stand alone in one respect, but it is also necessary to understand their context. We cannot run from persecution because we have been called to go into the world and do a certain job. And so Saul and Light teach us that this world has some real problems. In other words, if we are to be salt and light, it, it reminds us that the world needs salt and light, that they have lost, as Jesus says here, their savor, their flavor, <clears throat> some measure of their function. They are in darkness. You don't need light unless you're in darkness, right? So it, it kind of goes unsaid, but it's clearly inferred that we have a job to do as salt and light. The world has lost its saltiness. Um, you might say it's used to God. Um, the world was created to glorify Him, to, to worship Him. And uh, so the world in sin has lost that, then uh, it no longer serves its purpose. Now, messages, if not books, have been written on all the different ways that salt can be thought of here. I think if you think about it, Jesus just uses it as its flavor, its saltiness. We've talked, we know, you know, you've heard preachers talk about how that salt is a preservative, and that's certainly true. I'm not going to spend a lot of time dealing with all that. Uh, not that they're not true, but we're going to look at it primarily in the way it's used here. Uh, I've seen salt and light in, basically as the same thing. Uh, in our words, making a difference in this world. 
but the other things are true. In fact, the, the, the article that Jeff put in the bulletin that goes into a little bit about saltiness, uh, about the uses of salt. And what I think is so wonderful about that is that it's not that, oh, here's salt. And Jesus said, all of a sudden think about salt and say, you know what? Salt's got some pretty interesting properties that can be used to illustrate the church or our mission in this world. No, uh, I believe God's just a little bit greater and wiser than that. I believe that he created salt in the beginning because someday he was going to use it as an illustration with all its properties. And so I always think it's neat when Jesus uses creation, things he has created, for their one of their intended purposes, which is to illustrate the spiritual life. So the world has uh, lost its tastelessness. It's become uh, tasteless to the Lord. I think irrelevant to a sense. We'll talk about that in a moment. Also, it's darkness. It's unable to see. Nothing uh, illustrates that like today when we see people who they see this world. They see it's falling apart. And yet they can only see that the very reason they're falling apart are also the solutions. Nothing shows their blindness than thinking that, well, uh, the, the reason society's falling apart, marriages fall apart, our inner cities fall apart, it's for the very reasons that they are falling apart that we think are the answers to those things. <laughs> and, and so we, we don't have to be, it doesn't have to be proven to us that this world is in darkness when they reject the truth of God's word as the light that they need. So Christians are, I think, in the, the, the main point of this is that Christians are here to make a difference. A little bit like the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I, I've, I've watched that once. It's been years ago. But I remember the gist of it and wouldn't call it a biblical movie by any stretch. But we all know that the, the character, the main character was going to commit suicide and uh, the angel comes along and reminds him. And I think I have this right. Let me know if I don't. This just kind of shows him that, you know what, you can make a difference. If you kill yourself, it's not going to be good. You know, you, you were put here to, to make a difference. And, and there's an element of truth to that, right? We were put here to serve the Lord. And that's kind of what Christ is saying here. You are here to be salt and light. And if you don't do that, you, you've kind of lost your usefulness, your whole purpose. And so um, the, the question is whether we affect others for good. And how we are to affect others, and I say in in these two ways, as salt and light. And, and this is part of kingdom living. Remember, the, the overall context here is the how Christians, those in the kingdom, live. And Christ says we are to be salt and light, to live as the Beatitudes have suggested or have told us to will attract attention. It won't always be positive but we'll always carry out the Lord's work. So we are not to be uh, poor in spirit, for instance, in isolation. You know, that's always been a struggle with some Christians to think that, well, this world's kind of going to pot. The world is uh, doesn't like me, so we're going to run off here and kind of do our own thing and get away from the world. You kind of understand the temptation to do that. The problem is we have been called to go into the world. And some people think, well, if you live in the world, well, you're going to start dressing like the world and acting like the world and 
And of course, a lot of times that whole mentality is that everything about the world is bad. Well, everything about a society isn't necessarily evil. A mature Christian can spot that. We we look at this world, we study it, we see what things in our culture are dishonoring to the Lord, and we we don't do those things. We don't have to run from the world. We, we are to be strong in our faith, to be able to coexist with lost people, and yet not be compromisers. And that's a struggle. And you know, it would be easier to run off in the monastery as they tried to do in the second and third centuries. Uh, but that's not the, what Christ has called, and those that didn't help Christianity at all. Christians don't run. We make a difference. We are salt and light. And, yeah, that's the hard way, but that's, I think, the biblical way. So salt has many uses, and perhaps Jesus had all of them in mind in some way. But he, since he uh, created salt, I think, to in, in one reason, to be an illustration of kingdom living. We know that salt was used to preserve things so it wouldn't spoil and I think you know. I think a lot. I've heard a lot of commentators and, and preachers kind of kind of go at this from that direction that we are here to preserve the world. That as long as we're here, the the Lord will will refrain from judging the world. Is there an element of truth to that? Well, yes. I think there's, there's some things we could say about all that, but I don't think that's the point here. I think that if we're not careful, it could become a little self-serving. That you know, that, well, the, you know, we're the only thing that's keeping this world from being judged. Well, that, that might be true to some degree, but I don't think Jesus is using it like that. We are to make a difference, to uh, to to serve a purpose, to not just condemn this world, but to hopefully preach the gospel and bring those in darkness into to to light. I think that's the, the overall connection here in context. Uh, the word for savor, taste, uh, literally means to be made a fool. And the idea is that it loses its value. If, if we aren't being salt, then we have become, I think the best word maybe to use, the idea here is that uh, a fool is someone that is that you just kind of make fun of. He's lost his purpose. And I think that the best way to think about that for a Christian is it becomes irrelevant. And if a Christian no longer is salt and no longer is light, is no longer speaking to this, uh, to, uh, the words of God to this world to influence the culture and to do its job of spreading the gospel, you become a little irrelevant. You, you, you know, what's the purpose? And I think that's the idea here that Jesus uses this word. And so what is wrong with the world that it needs salt? Well, again, there's a lot of uh, verses we can look at. We don't need to spend a lot of time here, but think about Genesis 6, 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. A little, kind of the same idea. And the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So what did he do in that particular case? He killed everybody, except for eight souls. It, 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 is, it no longer served its purpose. Now, there's that's a whole another study about what was going on there. But you see, that's idea that we were created to glorify God, to have a relationship with Him, and to find our fulfillment in that. And in the fall, we lost that. And so, only those who God, of course, saves, are brought back into 
that right relationship, but the rest of the world has, has lost its purpose. Uh, chapter 8, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again cause the ground, curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. Of course, nothing changed. Man, you know, man was just as much sinner on the other side of the flood as before. But and, and God acknowledges that, but he also promises that he will never send the flood again. But you kind of see uh, this idea. Remember, uh, perhaps Romans 8, oh, another verse here quickly, uh, Psalm 14.2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God, and they all turn aside. Now, we know that universally all men are born in total depravity, but we know that God has saved some, so when it says they have all turned aside, obviously the elect are accepted after God saves them, but we're all born like this. We have all turned aside. Together we have become corrupt. There is none that does good. No, not once. You see that it has lost its way. Isaiah 1.5, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. Let's talk about Israel. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up, but softened with oil or softened with oil. That's how the Lord sees those who are in rebellion to Him. So that's why the world needs salt and light. And then of course Romans 8 in the New Testament, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so in a sense, not only can Christians lose their savor if we don't obey the Lord, but of course the world in that sense has lost its savor. Because the world cannot please God. So we are sent out to arrest the spread of this rebellion that keeps man back uh, from being what he was created to be. And it is clear by now that we won't salt the world in a universal sense in which the world will become pleasing to the Lord, that everyone will be saved, uh, you know, and that the ju- everyone will remove the judgment of God. That was never the point that the church was going to uh, completely bring the earth back into the relationship should it be. Christ will do that when he comes back. Now there are those, you know, we have some different viewpoints about that, but I think that, again, as we study the entire New Testament, it's pretty clear that the church was never going to gain control of this world in any sense. That, That when Christ comes back, he will find basically a world in rebellion. That's why he will lift the church out of it as he comes back to judge the world but we can't get into all that right now but um, notice here First Peter chapter 2 verse 10 once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against you in your soul so you see here that God has, we, we used to be part of the world. God has saved us and brought us out of the world. But he says, uh, I, I don't do that so that eventually you will take over the world. I, you're always going to be sojourners and exiles. And that's, as I've said before, that's why I'm not post-millennial. Because as much as I would love for that to be true, I never, I don't see anything but a suffering church. We are sojourners, we are exiles. And 
And if we Christianize this world, uh, then we're not anymore. The earth has become our home. So Christ is going to come back and do that. But I don't believe it's, it's what we're going to do uh, before that. And here's an example. So he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, because you're always going to have the Gentiles. You're always going to have the world, right? And keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The world hates you and thinks and and uh, lies about what you're doing and makes it seem to be bad. But don't worry about that because that's the way it's always going to be. But it's okay because when the Lord comes back, I think what it's saying there, there's other verses that we could point to, say because when, will, when do the lost uh, all of a sudden praise us for what we're doing? Well, they don't. That's why they're lost. But in the day of visitation, in other words, in the day when God visits them in judgment, they will have to admit before the moral universe that what we did was right. That they were right, that that they were rebelling against God, and they will uh, confirm that God is true, and every man a liar, and that, that, that but those that they persecuted were doing right. So I think that the day is coming when uh, God is saying that when the church will be vindicated. So so be faithful and don't worry about that. Be salt and light. So how are we salt and light? Well, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago. I think it's primarily and firstly through our words and not deeds. Now, I'll, I'll say a little more about that, but it's not to say that our deeds don't have any impact in any of this, because clearly we have, there's a we can be a testimony to an extent in how we live. But it's a, it's a mistake that some make, and some I think good men make, in thinking that we are to live the gospel. That our, that's how our testimony. The gospel is a message from God of repentance and faith. You can live out the gospel in your life in a sense, but a testimony is, is saying, thus says the Lord. And we have to be careful there, as, as we've already made the point, that it is through our words primarily. And I say this because anybody can do good works, but only those who give God the glory and explain why they are doing these good works actually make a difference and bring persecution upon themselves. See, good works that aren't done without the gospel alongside of that, well, nobody's going to have a problem with that. Remember that the Jewish leaders told Jesus when they were stoning him, I believe it was in chapter uh, nine, 6. Anyway, um, he, uh, I think he had worked on the Sabbath day, and they picked up stones to stone him. And he says, for which of these uh, works, because he had healed the blind men, done different things, and why are you stoning me? He said, we're not stoning you for good works. We're stoning you because you've made yourself equal with God. So it was why you're doing those things. It's what's coming out of your mouth that we hate you. And much of what passes for Christianity today is going around doing good works but not going around proclaiming the truth of the gospel and why those good works, why we're doing those good works. We're trying to impress the world and we're doing some great things. At church. You know, it is because of Christianity that we have almost all the charity organizations that have existed. The hospitals have been built for, for, for uh, because of Christian influence and that's all well and good. 
But that's not the calling that's going to bring persecution. I read of a, of a missionary, I, I use that in, I'll do the air quotes on that, uh, a man called Edward Miller, who some years ago was in, he was a, a Mennonite, and he was in Iraqi doing, uh, trying to provide food for Iraqi psychiatric patients. Nothing wrong with that. But Time, the magazine, reported, they, they, they interviewed him, and, and this is their, in their report, uh, that they published, one thing that he is not on his to-do list as a Mennonite missionary is to evangelize. So of all the things he's doing, that's one thing that he does not do, evangelize. Now, in my, my, my way of thinking, that immediately is a big red flag. If you're a missionary and support, getting support, uh, you know, if you're going to go over there and just do good works, don't call yourself a missionary. You know, call it for what it is. Um, so what they go on to say back in Baghdad missionary committee employee Miller feels no impulse at all to share his faith with his clients he says and they quote him you have to realize that Christianity has been part of the Middle East for 2000 years people here know all about my religion and don't need me to explain it I don't feel like I have anything more to teach the Muslims than they have to teach me. So, he's not being salt and light because um, Christ isn't being proclaimed and glorified. Now, he's doing some good, helpful things. That's all well and good. But those people are still going to die and go to hell. So, what has he done? Because he has refused to a ridiculous form of logic to think that because Christianity has been in that part of the world for 2,000 years, that the Muslims know what exactly everything that the Bible teaches, when, when we know that nothing could be further from the truth. If we're going to use that logic, then we don't need to proclaim the gospel in America because the, the gospel has been much more prevalent in America than in the Middle East. But we know that there are all kinds of people out there who have absolutely no idea what the Bible says, who Jesus really is, what he did to, the, to, to them. He's just a curse word, a, use, a name that they use when they're cursing. It, it's, it's, he's saying, he's, he's, this, this is a man who is deliberately shunning these verses, our text today, and I will not be salt and light, because, and his excuse is because uh, they don't need it. Certainly on an individual level, we can see how the gospel arrests the corrupting effects of sin. If we think about just our own lives, makes it possible for us to please the Lord. Even in society, every now and then we see how the influence of God's people can preserve it. There's, there's a sense in which we, through our influence, through, through laws and through whatever, through the preaching primarily of God's word, we can help a society not destroy itself, or at least last for a little bit longer. And that's certainly why America is, you know, headed in a, is collapsing is because the gospel has been replaced by a social gospel. The Christians no longer um, preach, in, in many cases, the truth. Think about evolution's lie is that the world is progressing to a higher and higher level, when in fact God's word says the opposite. And one of the reasons why uh, we see our culture falling apart is because for decades now the 
public schools have been telling them they're little more than monkeys. They came from monkeys, that, that it's okay to act like a monkey because there's no God you're going to answer to anyway. But we know that God's word, as well as history, tells us that each civilization will just destroy itself, given enough time. One college professor told his class that marriage was on the decline because man was evolving to a higher state and no longer needed it. Now you talk about somebody who was in darkness. To think that we don't need marriage because we are evolving to a higher state when we know that marriage is on decline because we become self-centered and no longer care about God's laws and we, we refuse to give up our freedom and all, and our pay and our, and our money and whatever, and our pleasure, uh, in order to, to be with one person and raise children we gotta take care of. That's why marriage is declining because we become narcissistic. Because we hate God. First Timothy 3.12, indeed all who desire to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then he goes, we, we've already dealt with that over the last couple of weeks. Then he goes on to say, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's exactly like that professor. He's, he's deceived and he's been put in a position to deceive others. Life without the preserving qualities of salt and the gospel and the light can only rot and become offensive to God. And while man grows in scientific achievements, he grows, he also grows in ignorance as to his very being. You can know all you want about science, but if you don't understand why science is here, who made science, what its purpose is, you, you can only misapply it. He has, man hasn't helped his society or the quality of life. His peace of mind has diminished, his moral decay, as well as his ability to understand why he has any life at all, are completely gone. Modern man has simply invented more ways to corrupt himself, to distract himself. Wickedness begins uh, began immediately after the fall, and in a very few thousand years, it was so unsalty, God wiped them off of the earth, and we have turned right around since the fall and, and are doing the same thing because because it proves that we need why Christ had to come into the world to die for us we need saving from ourselves from our sin and only the, that salvation only comes through the gospel and so the grace of God has appeared in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are to spread its salt to all who will hear I think that's the point here all of a sudden, someone who is in darkness and is irrelevant is given life and he now can have a family uh, that as it's supposed to be and a marriage as it's supposed to be. A, a church springs up when people are brought into light. A church springs up and those who were once uh, hating God are now singing praises to God and serving the Lord. And that's what it is to become salt and light. Some think the generic engineer, uh, excuse me, the genetic engineer can alter behavior uh, by removing or destroying certain parts of the brain or certain genes. Uh, we can modify behavior, but the, see, the problem is behavior is not our problem. Behavior is the uh, outcome of our problem. We have defective hearts. 
Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's our problem. And that's what we're seeing in, in our uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying that uh, once you get uh, your heart right, now you can start to live right. Romans 3, quoting from Psalm 14, says that all mankind has become worthless. Where it says they have all turned aside um, Together they have become corrupt. There is none that does good, not even one. So it isn't that the lost have no value as a human being, but he is doing what he was created. He is not doing what he was created to do. So he's lost his purpose. It's the idea of spoiling, and this is why Jesus says we have something to offer the world. Because here you have lives that are that are falling apart, that have become rotten by sin, and in the gospel. You can now bring them back to where they should be and there can be stability and there can be usefulness and praise to the Lord. So there's one exception to the total corruption and darkness of this world and that's the church. We are to be that exception. And it then makes it clear, we see that in verse 14 here, where you are the light of the world. It says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And I think that the purpose of salt and light here are, are very similar. Light, uh, the, the church is to be something set on a hill. We are to be uh, something the world can see. We're not to hide ourselves. God doesn't give us light that we can hide that light. So he makes it clear that we are to get out there and do what we've been called to do. We have the great commission because we have a great message, because we have a great Savior. He didn't tell us to sit in our homes and just salt our children and raise them up to be good. That's certainly part of our calling, but we are called to go into all the world as well. He never says that when this world gets so messed up that you, that you, and you don't understand anymore that you can just go hide in the woods and wait for Christ to come back. That's the easy thing to do, but, but we haven't been called to do that. The Roman world was already about as bad as it can get. You know, they weren't called to leave the Roman world. The word you is emphatic. It was, it's placed with emphasis. You are the only salt and light this world has, so get to the work. He isn't saying that as long as I have people in the world, I won't destroy the earth, as it's just our presence is what's keeping that from happening. Again, there's, there's maybe an element of, of truth to that, but that's not what he's, he's trying to stress here. He's saying that you have something that the world needs. So we aren't waiting for the church to be raptured out so God can judge all the sinners out there. That, that's something that, that's going to happen, in a sense. Not, not in a dispensational sense, but in a sense. But uh, that's not the point here. We have a message that they can escape the certain judgment to come. So that's how we are, I think, to be looking at this passage. As if... Um, the, uh, the word you, you is not is also not just emphatic, but it's also a plural form. Because we know that one grain of salt can't do much, but when you have a whole lot of salt together, uh, it can make a real difference, right, in what it's being salted. And so the you are stressing the, your, the being, not just the thing, but you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the light of this world. And so the first part of this command is, of this is not a command, but it's a statement of fact. This is who you are, so therefore, he says, now you need to go out and do this. 
Ephesians 5, 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, it doesn't mean that the idea is that I am darkness or I am light, but that we were in darkness or, or we now have light, right? And so, therefore, walk as children of light. <clears throat> no salt and light aren't seen as something different than us, but as but as we are that. It's our speaking and our living that has to have an effect upon this world. Christ working in us through lives that look like him and through uh, us, the proclamation of his word. And so the, the point here is we can't coldly stand on the corner and call men to repent and live any way we want to. We have to be consistent. We, our lives have to look like the message that we're proclaiming. And that's certainly, a, I think, a biblical uh, thing to, to understand. You know, the old adage, practice what you preach. And there's a sense in which that's absolutely true. Uh, we aren't here to just say, uh, you need to get saved. I don't care if you do or not. And I... I'm too you know, I'm just doing my duty. I'm going to get back to doing what I want to do. No, we, we know where God has brought us, where he found us, and what he, what he did to save us, and that gives us a burden to see people brought to the light. So we are the light. <clears throat> let, let me just quickly answer the question, uh, which we've already talked about, but this, this idea of who is the light is a little interesting because there's places in scripture where Jesus says, you aren't the light, I'm the light of the world. And yet here, he, he says that we are the light. So I want to just kind of look at that for a second. If throughout John's gospel, the, the light of the world is Jesus, right? John describes Jesus with these words. He was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus himself says in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Um, and yet, here in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And I think, I don't think that's difficult for us to grasp what he's saying there, that both are true. He's not contradicting himself. Uh, although in John 1 8, remember it said that John the Baptist was not the light, but he bore witness to the light. And I think that kind of explains it, you know. We, Christ is the light, and the gospel is the light, and we have the light, and so as we as we speak it, as we proclaim it, we be, we have who have been brought into light now shine that light, right? That John later on, John the Baptist uh, is, is saying that he was not the light, but he was a, a bright uh, or a shining, no, excuse me, a bright, no, excuse me, a burning and shining light. Uh, he uses the word lamp there. So I think that maybe a way to think about it is the moon, as we know, that reflects the light. It, it doesn't have any light of its own, but it reflects the light of the sun to the world. And so I think that's kind of the idea here. We have the, there's a sense in which we have become children of light because God has done an active work in us. So it's not like we are in darkness and just sharing light. We have become light, but it's not our own light, it's the light of the gospel, it's the light of God, and we are to reflect that. Yes, in the way we live, but primarily in the way we speak. And so everywhere we go and everything we do, we should have influence, so that we do, in one sense, retard the corruption and shed the light 
of the gospel with the hopes that some would be brought up out of the light. In these days, of course, salt was a valuable commodity. Sometimes a salt Roman soldier was paid in salt. That's where we get the term worth your salt, worth your pay, as it were. And I hope it's our desire to be worth our salt to the Lord. I think that's a biblical concept. Um, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And there's a lot of problems here, I think, in our culture, especially in some of the Caleb music out there, that seem to want to just talk about how I am just an awful person, and I'm really a weak, and I and, I, and, and you know I can't do anything, and, and all this, and they they don't want to put any pressure on anybody to repent and to start living for the Lord. They act like if you expect people to be holy, you're just a judgmental jerk. But Paul has no problem saying, under the inspiration of Scripture, a Christian who has been given light in life can walk, that's his goal, to walk worthy of that. We can live in a way that honors the Lord. Not perfectly, but we we are to make a difference. We are to be different than we were before. So ironically, to the lost, we take the salt and the flavor out of life, right? The, the lost look at us and say, boy, you guys have take all the fun, all the savor out of life. Because to them, our lives are drab and dull. But we know that to know Christ is to live victoriously and, and to have the living life to its fullest. And the world should at least see in us, in our faces, that we believe that. That we're living like that. They might think we're wasting our life and that we don't know what we're doing, but they should see in our attitudes, in our faces, the joy of the Lord, that, that we are fulfilled, that we are happy to be followers of Christ, that we're okay not having everything in this world, that we can be full of joy when we're persecuted, that we can be full of joy when we're sick and poor and despised in this world, that we don't need this world. And we should, they should at least be able to see that. And I think if they see that, then that's part of being salt and light to the gospel. Well, it's, I know we got the, the Lord's table to do, so I'm going to just stop here. Got a little bit more to say, but we'll tack that on beginning next, next week.